Hi, my name is Ryan Duncan Ayala. Hi, my name is Annika Perez Krikorian. Hello, my name is Jacob Santos. And you're listening to Affirmative Reaction. Hello, and welcome to Affirmative Reaction, a critical theater pod from a BIPOC theater squad. I'm Ryan Duncan Ayala. I'm Annika Perez Krikorian. And I'm Jacob Santos. Before we get to our musical this week, we will be doing our hot takes. And Hot Takes is our segment where we take our hottest, hottest, spiciest, spiciest theater or theater adjacent hot take and present it to the class with absolutely no context and no further explanation. And if you would like further explanation, uh, you will have to Venmo us because that is artistic labor and we should be paid for it. So my hot take for this week is that theater people are annoying. (laughs) All right, who's next? To literally feed off of that, theater people sometimes need just a little bit more bullying, and that's okay. And along with this, I think Camp Rock 2 has a bad ending. Okay, thank you. My hot take for this week, uh, y'all both went after theater people this week, but that's okay. Theater in general really, really do be thinking they do something when they pit ugly people against pretty people and call it conflict. And yes, I'm calling out the Andrew Lloyd Webber Cinderella. In fact, why am I tiptoeing around it? Andrew Lloyd Webber Cinderella, using the premise that ugly people versus pretty people is an actual genuine conflict, and then casting Carrie Hope Fletcher as the ugly person in this situation, regressive and terrible, and I will not be seeing it. Also, the graphic design sucks. Okay. I can't listen to like most of the West End Heathers, but I will say I Say No is kind of a bop when it comes on. But anyways, that's not what we're talking about this week. We're not talking about Britain and especially after England got whooped today. We're not going to talk about it, though. We today are talking about a different part of the world. We are talking about The Band's Visit by David That Yazbeck. part of the world. That part yeah. of the world called The Band's yeah, Visit. We're talking about a different part of the world, okay? It is in Israel with a band from Egypt also there. The band's visit, music and lyrics by David Yazbek, book by Itamad Moses, came out in 2017. Um, and I'm just going to give you all a little summary real quick, and I'll let Jacob do the rest of that sweet, sweet production history. Okay, so this is like one of the quintessential slice of life stories. It's, you know, a day in the life of, you know, something happening to people. So the general premise is a group of musicians from the Alexandria Ceremonial Police Orchestra in Egypt are going to Petatikva in Israel to perform at the Arab Cultural Center. They, they're like really nervous along the way, especially the main conductor, Tufig, but we'll get into that. But they end up taking the wrong bus and end up in a small rural town of Bet Hatikra instead. And the locals have to take them in for the night. Um, and so, you know, throughout the 24-hour period or 12-hour period, whatever, we see how their experiences with each other unravel and they grow. So, you know, slice of life. To get a little bit more in depth, we open up on projections that read, once not long ago, a group of musicians came to Israel from Egypt. You probably didn't hear about it. It wasn't very important. So then we meet the band, Tufig, Khaled, Simon, and uh, Kamal. They're in an airport bus station. Tufig is like a very nervous person. There's like glimpses of anti-Arabic racism in there. Khaled is a 
they flirt who accidentally gets them on the wrong bus. It was it was like a grand mix-up between all of the band members, really, but uh, at the end of the day, Halet is the one that bought the bus tickets. So from there, we cut to the town of Bet Hatikva, where we meet the town people, who explains that there's really nothing to do in town, and they're just sitting around waiting all the time, um, waiting for whatever that means. Bina, we meet, is the cafe owner, um, and kind of like the main person in the town. Poppy is a young guy who works there. Avrun is an older gentleman. Itzik is a struggling father. Iris is a fed up mother. Um, and there's a handful of other characters that we meet along the way. These are all in the opening scene. Um, and the band shows up, learns that they're in the wrong place. And there's a fun song about how Bet Tektikra is really boring. And, and they've realized that they're stuck there for the night. Um, so Dina takes action, splits the band up between the locals to take them in for the night. And this is really like where all the story happens and, and we get all these like three main storylines. So Dina kind of starts giving some hints she's interested in Tufik and they all split up and she takes Tufik and Khaled back to her apartment. Along the way, we meet Telephone Guy and learn that he's just standing and waiting every night for his estranged girlfriend to call and it's been like a month. So through this, we also learn that Dina has kind of like given up on the idea of romance and stuff like that. And she was like, yeah, it is what it is. And it's like stupid. And we also learned that Tufik no longer has a wife, uh, but she cuts him off before like saying what happened or anything like that and assumes that it's because he learned his lesson and love isn't all that. Nina then asks Tufik if she can show him around. Um, Khaled plays some wingman and like lets them both go out. Um, and he's like, yeah, I'll keep myself busy. Don't worry about it. So then we cut to the house with Kamal and Simon and they were taken in by Itzik. Iris is upset that uh, she has to be there. It's her birthday. And her father, Avrum, is also there. He's very, like, inquisitive about the guys. And Kamal is inquisitive right back. He starts asking a lot of questions about Avrum's late wife. And uh, Simon gets pretty mad at him along the way. And Kamal's like, sorry, Avrum's like, no, it's fine. Don't worry about it. And we get this, like, really cute bonding moment where all the men sing about how Avrum met his wife in a song called The Beat of Your Heart great time. So then we cut to Khaled. He leaves the other two to go on a date and he stumbles in and finds Poppy and Poppy's cousin. Um, they're about to go on a double date and so he ends up just kind of like following along with them to a roller rink and he's like, don't worry, I won't get in your way. I just want to see the town a little bit. Like, no, no need to worry. So then we cut back to Dina and Tufig. They're on their date. Um, they bond over their love for old Arabic music, specifically Um Kulthum. And we get a song about Dina's childhood and, and her love for the culture in a song called Omar Sharif, which you probably know from the 2017 Tonys if you were awake during it. I think it's a really magical like number. Um, and they're at this like cafeteria. It's it's really beautiful. While they're at the cafeteria, Nina has a really weird moment where she kind of like flexes on this guy that she's hooking up with, who is married and there with his family. Um, and he's like really upset about it. Kuzik has like a moment, kind of blows up at them, and it's like a really really weird, just awkward moment. Generally, then we come back to the Itzik household, and. Basically, in this scene, Iris blows up and leaves, and, you know, they're all like, you know, these things happen, it's, you know, whatever. 
but we also further this, the plot of Simon having wrote a concerto that we learned about earlier in the play. He hasn't finished it. And so Avram's like, why, why haven't you finished it yet? And he's like, I don't know. I just haven't finished it. Like life got in the way. So then we cut to the roller rink where Poppy is painfully failing on his date. Like his cousin and his cousin's girlfriend are like roller like roller skating along and the other two are like roller skating by themselves. It's really, really awkward. Poppy accidentally ends up like throwing the girl on the ground is when she tries to pick him up and go uh, and take him skating. So Khaled works his magic and uh, helps Poppy figure out flirting a little bit. Um, with some with some cute little little jazz songs, it's a good time. So then we we're back with Tufik and Dina. They are at a concrete park where they have this really like beautiful interpretational moment. Um, we hear Tony Shalhoub as Tufik sing. Um, it was like great baritone voice, twenty out of ten. Love that man. And Dina sings about being really into Tufik and like not being sure what it is, but like she knows that there's something there essentially. From there, we cut back to the Itzik household. He sings to his child about being sorry that he's like not enough and, and having to figure out life, even though mommy and daddy are fighting. It's a really like, it's a really tough moment to be honest with you. Um, and then him and Simon had this really beautiful moment. They have like a heart to heart about ending the concerto quietly, like like the life in this town and and like you know the stories of the people that are here um and iris walks back in she's ready to start a fight and it's it comes out tries to like handle the best he can the baby starts crying and she's like who's in there with the baby and she's like he's like the dude and she's like why did you leave a stranger with the baby and he's like he's not a stranger he was like a homie and she's like i'm sorry and they barge into the room and simon is playing the concerto and then he continues playing after he had finished writing and and he finishes the concerto it just like it's had mentioned quietly and beautifully so it's a nice little bow on that storyline we are back um, with Dina and Tufig. They are going back to Dina's apartment and we check back in with the telephone guy who is still just standing there waiting. Uh, Kamal has also been using the telephone at this time. Telephone guy is not very happy about it because he's waiting like intently. And again, he's like, no, nothing yet, but I'm sure it'll be soon. Don't worry about it. Very hopeful. At this point, Dina confesses her love for Tufig and he shares his past trauma that he was too hard on his son and his son ended up committing suicide and his wife followed suit after, um, which is why, you know, which is why he doesn't have a wife anymore. And, and it was like a tough moment for, for everyone and just kind of like fizzled out any kind of chance that Dina had with Tufig. I think like at that point they were like, okay, never mind. Um, so they go back up to the apartment um, and meet up with Khaled, who's back there as well. They show up at the same time, and Tufig's basically like gives Khaled the knock, like the nod to shoot a shot. You know, sings a reprise of something's different, and you know, then they end up like that. Then we cut to the impeccable, on my overwhelming harmonies in musical theater songs that cure my depression playlist. Answer me that Adam Cantor, the telephone guy, sings out beautifully. Um, there's these wonderful dissonant harmonies that just like absolute perfection. 
and the phone rings and telephone guy's uh, girlfriend calls and and they're back. So, so throughout this, there is Hebrew and Arabic being spoken throughout. It's not explicit that there is any sort of translations that are happening, except in this moment where telephone guy answers the call in uh, Hebrew and there is translations projected on the wall of what he's saying, I guess to really nail across the point that, that it's back, like that the girlfriend called. And then we get this emotional departure the next day um, where everyone is kind of changed and, and back on their way. Dina repeats what was originally projected uh, at the beginning of the show. And then we close with the band playing um, their final performance at the Arabic Cultural Center. And make to make this all make sense a little bit, so obviously these two groups of people speak different languages, like I mentioned. Um, one group speaks Hebrew, one group speaks Arabic. And so they have like their aside moments when they're talking to people from their respective groups, not wanting the other people to understand. But throughout the play, they speak in English that is, I guess, like, skillfully broken up and like semi jumbled just to you know get the point across that English isn't their first language um and so I think it's a really great device throughout but but that's the band's visit all right thank you Ryan for that summary and now I'm going to give us a little bit of background on the show and production history so yeah so it was based on an Israeli film from 2007 it premiered off Broadway at the Atlantic Theater Company in 2016 then it opened on Broadway in 2017 at the Ethel Barrymore Theater, and it was nominated for 11 Tony Awards. It won 10 of them, including Best Musical and Best Actor in a Musical. Ariel, who won Best Actor in Best Featured Actor in a Musical, uh, noted during his acceptance speech what the show did for representation for himself. And part of his quote was, for so many years of my life, I pretended I was not a Middle Eastern person. I'm a part of a cast of actors who never believed that they be, would be able to betray their own races. And we are doing that. And not only that, but we're getting messages from kids all over the Middle East, thanking us and telling us how transformative our representation is for them. And I want any kid that's watching to know that your biggest obstacle may turn into your purpose, which is just so beautiful cried when I read it. And the show is one of four in Broadway history to ever win all of the quote unquote big six at the Tony Awards. Uh, the show also went to win a Grammy Award for Best Theater Album. So, you know, the band's visit, she's, you know, a critically acclaimed girl. And then after the Broadway sh show closed in April 2019, the national tour began in June of 2019, and the musical was going to have a production in the Philippines in 2020, but that was canceled due to the pandemic. <sighs> the Mr. Six's pandemonium ruined it for all of us, y'all, and that's the background of the band's visit. I, I also want to mention in all of this because we do, we are doing musicals that like are published and you're able to get the rights for it for the most part. I believe the rights for this came on MTI like before it even closed on Broadway. So so this has been available for a while. So I just wanted to throw that out there. Um, and now I want to transition to first thoughts. I wish the show had not been overshadowed by its Tony season because I feel like it's so beautiful and simple. And in fact, like it is emblematic of what we what we're constantly talking about 
for like the Broadway revolution is like culturally specific stories that don't rely on like, I mean, even though, yes, it was a movie, like it was a little tiny movie that was like, you know, disqualified from the Oscars. Like it wasn't, it wasn't a big deal movie, right? Like what this Broadway that we're trying to stop relying on like tired intellect, like known property and sort of find new stories and culturally specific stories. And maybe even like stories that are just for the people they're for, right? Like this is very much emblematic of new Broadway. And it sort of happened in the last vestiges of, of, I guess it's not old because honestly it seems like it's coming back in better than ever, but old Broadway. And it was, it won a lot of Tonys, but it won a lot of Tonys without a lot of original story competition. So I think, I, yeah, I think this, this in a lot of ways, the musical and its own trajectory mirror each other as being very much like fish out of water, unique. And I think, I think underrated because, because of their content. The band's visit isn't about anything. It's, it's absolutely, it very much is like once the musical, which was also a 2007 movie, um, in that like nothing happens. Like you just, you just live with these people and this music and this culture for like a little while. And I think that's what struck me the most was like the feeling in the music and just like the way that, that the sound and the, the vocal qualities like um, resonated differently because it was music I wasn't familiar with. So I'm glad to have gotten to spend a little time with it. It's a very, I, I, I said this, before, I said this and Ryan was like making a face, but I feel like it is a very cozy musical. Like it's very much a musical you like, you know, you, you. I want, I mean, I'm, I'm hot as hell right now. Like it's, it's summertime, but like, I want to like, you know, sit in a blanket and like put some big headphones on and just like drink some tea and like listen to this musical in like digital surround sound. I would love to see this musical done, um, on Broadway or again, but that's getting ahead of myself. Anyway, that's my first thoughts on Band's Visit. Answer Me is a hit. <laughs> answer Me is a hit. If Answer Me was a human that I went to high school with, I would have voted for her for prom queen. Like she is the moment. She is that girl. Oh, I loved it so much. And yeah, similar things to Annika. Like when I, I had never heard of the band's visit, which is surprising to me when I was doing the research. I was like, oh, she sweeped the Tony Awards that year. How did I not know about it? Because I feel like people don't really talk about it as much enough like some other shows musicals um and it makes sense because like this is very different from what you usually see one on broadway and two just in like american musical theaters like the music in it isn't trying to give you the broadway belt you know it's not trying to give you spectacle in the same way that other broadway shows do yeah, it almost feels like I'm not surprised that this is based on like an indie movie because it feels like an indie movie musical. Like it's very small. It's very uh, human, humanistic. It's very, you know, character driven. And like you said, it's a slice of life. So there were moments where when listening to it, like when I was listening to it, I was there's moments where I was taken out of it because I was like, oh, what's what's happening? And then reading the book, I was like, oh, this is really nice. And then when I ended it, I was like, this was really nice. This was really, really nice. And like, for me, like, I really respect that. And I appreciate that. I'm glad that this exists, but it's not necessarily the kind of theater that like I get super excited about. I like more of like the messy girls who you can have a lot of discourse about, but this is like so well done and so well constructed that like, if I were to have seen this on Broadway, I could see myself going out of the theater with some friends and being like, that was really good. Like that was really well constructed. 
and then carrying on with my day and not talking about it again because it's just like you know one of those shows where it's just like it's really good what else is there to say it's really really good yeah i think you're absolutely right i um so i will i will start off by saying that i watched monk as a child and i am a tony shalhoub stan so when i first heard about this like that tony shalhoub was in a musical in 2017 i was like hello this guy is back because i hadn't heard from him in a long time i didn't i didn't watch marvelous miss Maisel or anything like that and so i was like word and i listened to it right away and i i just thought it was gorgeous like i like y'all said it's this quiet musical um which it feels like an oxymoron but but it's true it's just like this quiet quaint musical that is a slice of life all the way through um that I just absolutely fell in love with. And I want to really quick read the, uh, so when I was scanning this for our, for to send to Annika and Jacob, I read the little acknowledgements that the authors read at the very beginning. I was like, I have to include this in the scan um, just because I thought it was beautiful. And so David Yazbek wrote for my father who showed me Lebanon. And I thought it was beautiful. One of my really good friends in high school had family or who's, family was from Lebanon. He used to always invite us over for food and for everything like that. So I was always really fascinated and connected with that culture. And so I think when I first heard this and like saw the representation, I thought it was beautiful. Um, and I've kind of been stuck on it ever since. It's one of my like three or four downloaded albums on Spotify. It's one thing where I know like if I have like an hour left of a road trip, an hour left of a flight or whatever, I throw on the band's visit listen to the album all the way through and then I'm there and, and so it's just something I really go back to a lot and I also think it's like beautifully segmented because there's these like wonderful songs beautiful ballads amazing harmonies but then they're all cut up by like small instrumental pieces where the band is really just doing their thing and and we love to see it and so I think reading the script for the first time for this episode really helped just like blossom that love a little bit more yeah, I, I'm just a band's visit fan all the way through because I think it's just like a beautiful, quaint, everyone should see it musical because it's really nice. Like at the end of the day, it's really nice. Yeah, something I felt the show did really, really well was depicting longing. Like I feel like if that's like the main, one of my main takeaways from the show is just like longing is the message in the way that the show gets it right in ways that like people meet other folks and have like small moments that, just stay at small moments. They don't build into huge, you know, romantic epics or things like that. Like sometimes folks cross paths, they have a spark, they have a moment, they don't really know how to navigate it or things block them out, or it's literally just a moment and then it's done and then you move on. And I don't know why, but like the moment I started crying <laughs> at the end of the show was like when the, like the guy who, the telephone guy, like when he finally gets the call and he's just like, I'm wearing the sweatshirt that I forget who made it, but he's just like, oh, I have your sweatshirt and I've been wearing it. And I was like, <laughs> it was so, so beautiful. Cause that's like one of those one moments where like you're longing for someone just to like reach out to you. You just want to be connected with them. And then when it happens and you're just like, now I feel warm and cozy, like a sweatshirt. I was like, you know what? You didn't have to give me like this in the third act, but I'm glad that you did. Very much Taylor Swift, but when I felt like it was an old cardigan under someone's bed, you put me on and said I was your favorite. Anyway, 
I think what's really beautiful about this musical is that it that it is so so clearly not trying to do anything except honor these people and tell this story and like honor this community like it really could be like listen okay maybe this is hot take part two as much as i love the musical waitress to me it lost a lot of the magic of what i loved about the movie i saw the movie first when i was young with the movie of waitress and i loved it and part of what i loved about it was how quiet it was sort of softly you watch these people some like like the band's visit sort of watch these people live in this nowhere town trying to figure out what the hell they're going to do with their lives a lot of jenna's like internal life was very like you don't learn a lot about her internal life which i didn't mind right and of course sarah Bareilles came she slayed it whatever but it was clear that she was trying to write a broadway a capital b broadway musical and again nothing against waitress i love it do we need the revival this soon no but that's not the point but it felt like it lost that indiness that sort of quiet like contemplative quality honestly i feel like we've lost in an age god i sound fucking old but like i feel like sometimes we've lost our attention span in terms of like musical theater specifically to just like live with people and get to know them right like we really need musical theater to be like big flash boom bang big songs big belt all this stuff and I really liked having to sort of focus my energy in a different way with the musical because it made me appreciate like that sort of really soft human quality of, of music itself. Not just musical theater, but the way music itself like goes beyond words and like can can make you live in like just sitting with yourself in a different way. Yeah, like those little musical interludes. I was just like vibing. I was just like damn this is what my life is like this is the way this music's making me feel you know which is not a thing that happens in broadway musicals a lot a lot of times it's either dance break or it's big big note or it's funny or you know there's something there's something you're you're having to focus on and band's visit i kind of was allowed to like sit in something and that's what i'm talking about like you just got to luxuriate in the music and like be quiet and be with yourself it's okay for a musical to be to be quiet in the way that it is because it's just not it's just not big and brassy in that way that <clears throat> anything goes might be for example but it still achieves the same thing which is being true to its source material um and being able to like really capture that essence of like i don't know introspection um and like mm. hearing like trying to d decipher what people are are actually saying like omar sharif isn't about omar sharif it's about like the plight of the hopeless romantic that's not something yeah. that's clear if you're being a lazy listener yeah and i will say like this isn't like even like it's very introspective but it's not a sad musical either like when i first heard that this was a comedy and i had only listened to the album i'm like this is a comedy but you know there's comedic elements in it when i first watched the slime tutorial there was like plenty of laughs to go around especially that first scene that happens where like there's this big misunderstanding like people were laughing and people laughed throughout and and I think David Yazbek and um, Itamad Moses meant for people to laugh throughout and just like really get this like good balance of life. Jacob, I know you like joke that you have like two or three brain cells sometimes, but you always like help me gather my thoughts. And so you're like, this is a longing musical. I'm a longing ass bitch, a hundred percent of the way through. And I think that's like really helps qualify why I like this a lot like it came into my life in a time where there was like plenty of longing happening and it just like never left and so I think like you helped me really gather those thoughts but I also think that like there's a lot 
of like interesting commentary that just randomly pops its head in really good ways in ways that I wish happened more um, within the show. Like when, when the show opens, there's two Israeli soldiers, so like IDF members on stage and like the band is nervous, Tufik is nervous and it's so subtle, but like you can tell that there is a comment to be made there. And I think it's, you know, the same thing happened when Haled shows up to the uh, roller rink and like you, a lot of people probably can and do interpret it as he's dressed funny. So like, they're like, oh, this is why they're being weird to him. But like, there is the deeper underlying idea there of the racism that occurs. And it's very hyper-specific. It is very like, if you don't know, you don't know and you miss it. I think David Yazbek does a great job of sprinkling it in there and very intentionally sprinkling it in there because it is these people's stories at the end of the day. I would say Middle Eastern and Asian musicals that are not fetishized are some of the most underrepresented pieces of theater in the business. It just doesn't get traction. And part of that is because we don't actually learn the history that's behind these stories. I'm like, this is really interesting and there are emotional points that connect with me, but I just don't know enough about the history to understand, right? Like if we're talking about the, the, the historic sort of tensions between Arab and Israeli culture, I don't have a good understanding of that, right? Honestly, it took me a long time and I had to do my own, my own education on the Israel-Palestine conflict, which is a different thing, but like I never really knew what that was about. So reading theater about like the fallout of, or the history of the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, I was like, I don't know a lot about this, like historically. And so I think that part of the disservice that that gets done when we're trying to authentically tell stories is that it starts with the history, right? Like it starts with with our prior knowledge coming in about what these the, these people have gone through and it's just not taught. It's just not widely known. It's really a very like flat narrative and especially in America, people do not want to hear about Middle Eastern people having feelings. <laughs> or like needing to know anything about that. So Say I think it again. Oh I think God. that that's like the biggest reason why maybe things like the band's visit, soft power, allegiance, things like this don't really hit is because Amer the American school system that's where I think it starts. The American school system doesn't teach this history. And so when we're going into a theatrical setting trying to understand where these people are coming from, we learn about the civil rights movement. You know, we can we can watch the mountaintop and have a, a, a bigger understanding of what's going on. That's not the best example, but you know what I mean, right? Like we can understand the racial dynamics of Carolina change. Again, not a good example. White writers, there are no good. There are no good examples. Maybe everything's a bad example. But you know, like at least American audiences have some sort of some sort of historical concept of like the black experience in America, but the Middle Eastern experience outside of America or the Asian American experience in America and, you know, Asian influence outside of America, not really taught. We don't learn about the Japanese concentration camps, right? Like it's just, I think it's really a, a, a an educational failure that, that makes stories like these uninteresting quote unquote to, to audience members because they just don't have the knowledge. And that's really sad. And I'm one of those people too. So I'm I'm not I'm not saying I'm above that. I'm saying I'm part of it and it makes me sad that that that's true. I think it starts in the school system and that is also a branch of like the US government and how they treat 
forces in the Middle East and in Asia and how they message that to our country. And that's a whole problem. Uh, but like, it's crazy to me that like people don't learn about the Chinese Exclusion Act super widely. I thought that was a normal thing because I learned it in high school, but that's because I had a really good history professor um, that like cared about stuff like that. And so I, I, it took me a long time to realize that I was l lucky to learn about the Chinese Exclusion Act. Diversity in theater has a long way to go. You can produce an entire season of people's different experiences without touching a white story. And, you know, I think that's great. And I think it should happen, to be honest with you. Mena stories, Middle Eastern, North African stories are sometimes one of the last to the table, along with indigenous stories, Asian American stories, South Asian stories. And I would love to see more of it. Like I said, a lot of this just stems from having a best friend whose family was from the region and hearing about their stories, going back to, to visit their family in the summers. And like a lot of that love comes from that. But I realized that a lot of people, especially a lot of people in America, aren't exposed to that almost ever. But let's talk about some more reasons why the band's visit kind of didn't get enough attention or the attention that it possibly deserved. And it's largely because of the season that it was in like like uh, Annika started talking about earlier so if y'all don't know the season the band's visit swept in it's it was the band's visit Spongebob Mean Girls and Frozen in the original musical category not revivals were a big thing that year it was Carousel and My, My Fair, Fair Lady. Lady and one other one that I don't remember I don't know but the only new musicals on Broadway were Disney <laughs> and or popular Nickelodeon. culture Nickelodeon Disney Nickelodeon and a very iconic popular culture movie from 2004 those were the other original musicals all known properties Band's Visit technically is a, a known property and then it was a movie but again nobody nobody done did knew about that movie sorry I think even David Yazbek talks about in, in like a random interview I saw when I was at the dentist like a year ago being like oh yeah the Band's Visit yeah, that's a great story. We should write something about it. But like having completely like it's that small of a movie that like the person who wrote a musical about it was like, yeah, all right, that story. And so I think a so so obviously, listen, I don't mean to sound pretentious when I say this at all. I don't. Um, but for obvious reasons, it swept the Tonys um, in its original musical categories. In terms of like the things that were mixed, like the sound and the effect of the band's visit was absolutely gorgeous. So like everything else, like it makes sense. I don't know what it won and what it didn't off the top of my head, but it also swept a lot of the acting categories. To be fair, like let's not just let's not just put it on. I think best musical, you know, was the one that was like, well, duh, and maybe it didn't have enough competition because it really was the only actual original musical. Sorry, SpongeBob stands. There are very there are very hard SpongeBob stands out there. Listen, I don't want to anger them. Hot take: I don't like SpongeBob at all as a musical. I think it is emblematic of everything that's wrong with musical theater. Sorry, sorry, but yeah, I think best musical was the sort of, of course it's gonna win, but it's kind of winning by default. But it it, it swept the acting categories, like you said, like Ariel Stachel, I think is how you say his last name, won against like, and that was an open acting category, right? Like that wasn't, um, but yeah, it it won. It historically won what's called the Big Six which is basically all the major the major categories that a musical can win. 
So the big six is best musical, best score, best book, best performance by a leading actor, best performance by a leading actress, and best direction. And it joins it, it does it joins only four other musicals in history. Let's just talk about how much of an impact like twenty speeches can make because you know, we all remember the year Lynn gave like twenty of them. And and some of them really hit hard. And so so let's talk about it a little bit. Love is love is love is love was like the only thing people were saying for a good six months. I'm sure everybody still has those like tumblers and t-shirts in the back of their closet that say love is love is love is love is love. Tony speeches are iconic, I think. Ultimately, they are, you know, vanilla icing on a shit cake because award shows are all about self-congratulation, no matter what discipline they're in. And I don't, and I, that's not, sorry, this is sounding really like mean and bitter. I'm, those are like, obviously winning a Tony, like bitch, if I won a Tony award, I would be crying my eyes out. I would absolutely be like, this is the best moment of my life. Like, I'm not trying to be like the Tony awards. That's not what I'm saying. The point is like, when we're specifically talking about diversity call outs in award speeches, I think they're beautiful for the people that they address they're they're beautiful for the performer and they're they're good for the for the little kid at home watching and being like i'm gonna do that right i think that's where it hits the most and that's not to say that that's not important right but it's a very interpersonal like one-on-one connection it is not indicative of institutional change because you know they can they can say you know i've never seen a person like me on broadway before and that's what they said and they said it and people go, wow, yeah, now you are on Broadway. Good job. Here's a cookie. Anyway, let's revive the music man. Right? Like, it just, it's, it's, I can't say that, like, big diversity moments in shows lead to institutional change in a way that's like, yeah, make a big thing in your, in your, uh, in your award speech, because that's going to get them to listen at an institutional level, right? I think where it does the most work and, it, and it's important work and maybe it is the, the work for the people who will change the industry in the future, but it's for the little girls and boys at home. It's for a little high school thespian troupe watching at Jared's dad's mom's grandma's house on the flat screen because that's the only one that has a big enough TV, you know? Like that's really who it's for and God bless them because we were all them once and that's what warms my heart the most always is like for the performers specifically having that moment to shout out like the little brown kids watching at home because little brown kids have to, you know, put up with finding themselves in white stories all the time. So having that moment is really beautiful. Yeah, but I don't think it does anything institutionally because they still went and revived the Music Man after all those beautiful speeches. So I don't really have much of an opinion on Tony Award speeches just because I haven't seen a lot of the Tony Awards because I grew up poor and couldn't see any of the Broadway shows. So like whenever I did try to tune in, I was like, I don't know any of these shows. And then I just click out. <laughs> Baby, the amount of like sort of swanning I did about, well, you know, I actually think that um, Arthur Miller's revival with Philip Seymour Hoffman is really in a tough spot this year. I was fucking, I had never seen that show in my life. I didn't know what was going on. It was, I was truly such a snob. It was terrible. Anyway. Yeah. yeah. I won't even lie to you. I didn't watch the Tony Awards until like Hamilton happened. Like genuinely, because I grew up super distant from all of that Broadway stuff. Like, I did my little community theater and I did that and then I, you know, that was it. I'm so sorry. Sidebar. I was like, there's one other musical besides My Fair Lady and Carousel that year. I wonder what it was. It was Once on this Island. I'm stupid. I'm sorry. 
<laughs> no disrespect to Once on this Island. It was the only good musical that year. Revival. I'm crushed. I'm shook. I'm so sorry to everyone and everything that I've ever said in my life. But yeah, I didn't watch Tony Awards until like 2016. And then I liked the Evan Hansen enough. So I kind of paid attention to those. By 2018, I was like, okay, I need to like, I, I want to be in this industry. So I need to at least pay a little bit of attention. Um, and that's how I found out about the band's visit was through the Tony Awards performance. And then in 2019, when we were at the O'Neill, that was the first time I've ever sat down and fully watched the entire Tony Awards. And the 2021, you know, can't wait for them to happen. Do we want to talk about at all the the wonderful actors and actresses in this? I mean, Katrina Lank, eight. I love her with my whole heart. Like I said, I'm already a Tony Shalhoub stan. Uh, John Cariani's in this of almost Maine and something rotten Maine. John Cariani. I must say, Jacob has a blank look on his face. <laughs> Just because I don't know them doesn't mean I don't respect them. <laughs> Jacob is nodding along, going, mm hmm, yes, almost Maine. I've heard of her. You've never heard of Almost Maine unless you've been in a very white college theater town or been mm. to KCACTF and seen the Irene Ryan Awards. <laughs> Yeah. No disrespect to anyone who does almost mean it's a great stepping stone piece, I guess. Yeah. I didn't know John Cariani was an actor. I only knew almost Maine for so long. And then someone was like, he was in something rotten. And I was like, I know something rotten. What do you mean? Uh, who was he? And they were like, he was the lead. And I was like, what? I had no idea. Great cast. Bigger cast than I thought there would be in, in this show. So like when I read it, I was like, wow, there's a lot of names to keep up with. This is great. We all kind of really said that this is a small, quiet musical coming into this. So there's like, I think I think a lot of it has already been said. So we can just head on into the last point. Can and should this play still be done? I, I mean, can it? Yes. Should it? Absolutely. I would love to see an immersive band's visit, right? Like... I would love to be able to really live in that place even more, literally, as an audience member. I think that'd be beautiful. They're, they're only superficial, like mainly just like the way that the music functions in the story, but I would love to see Indecent and Bands Visit in the same season. Um, maybe like using the same band members, if they're versatile enough to play all the different instruments, because obviously those instruments are some of them like the Oud. If you can play the Oud and other things, very cool. You're the coolest person alive. Props to you. But yeah, I would love to see the band's visit done, especially regionally, so we can create more like educational and community resources around the play. I think it's so important to like build in like the history to the story that you're going to see. And I think regional theater specifically does at least, you know, is trying to do that more so than Broadway does, right? Like give community resources before the community, a regional theater is for a region. So you're trying to bring in the community. I'm being very optimistic, but you know what I mean. I think regional theater has more of an opportunity for like educational, you know, high schools, high schools seeing the show, community members being brought in to see the show, more educational like workshops around the show. Um, I think there's a really great opportunity to sort of build that and then just go sit and live in that beautiful space. I'd love to like set it in, like have Dina's Cafe be a place where you can drink and eat. And like then move on and like go to the little bench. I don't know. I have great. I would love to see that. I think Bands Visit has such potential and it's such a beautiful, just beautiful little slice of a musical. Um, and I think it deserves the world. 
yeah i agree i think it can be done and it should be done <laughs> but like colleges and some community theaters you need to stay away from her because like i will lose my mind if i see a production of the whites visit you know what i mean <laughs> you know that's exactly what i thought when i first saw that the rights got posted because i was again so very much in like the community theater and college theater vibe and i'm like what are they doing like who's gonna do this musical like nobody has the people for this but with that being said Larger regional theaters program this musical because it is gorgeous. It is beautiful. You have your marketing machine already, BB. It won the big six. It like you have that marketing machine already ready to go. Don't even have to worry about it. So don't be cowards and do this musical because it is beautiful. And a lot of places around the United States have displaced refugee populations that can find themselves in this story. So, so just freaking do it. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing. I think I, I did a lot of, you know, slime tutorial, YouTube digging in preparation for this episode. And one of the most, like, prevalent comments was, I'm crying. I've never seen, like, my people, you know, represented this way. I've never heard anyone talk about Um Kortum. Like, I love that music. That was my music. That was my grandfather's music. Like, that was the music that I grew up on. I've never seen us portrayed in this really loving way. I'm like on the floor. This means the world to me. Like, you never, you, you never know what audience you're missing when you program a show that is has a really white gaze. Right? You think you're like, well, we're, we're going to lose our audience. You might also gain an audience because what you're doing is you're reaching out to people who feel like they've never had a reason to go see theater before. They've never been to theater that cares about them. So let's like bring empathy back into theater and maybe create a piece for an audience that isn't white because they deserve love and recognition just as much as anyone else. And with that, I think our episode is over. Thank you all again so much for supporting and, and listening to all of this. Um, we are eternally grateful always. And just always a reminder, the art this week was uh, courtesy of Offroot Art and Kelly Lynn Hayes. Thank you so much for that. And make a donation if y'all feel like you're able to, because we, we got to keep supporting these amazing artists as we go about this. Only two more episodes left in our season, y'all. Uh, next week, we will be talking about another Katrina Lenk musical. <laughs> and if you know what it is, you know. So we will see you next week. Thank you so much, y'all, for listening.